Why do we call it the road to recovery? I did some research online and found a paragraph that I think sums it up. The road to recovery is believed to be used in instances where one is trying to come back from an arduous experience. The road there denotes a journey. Traveling involves moving from one place to another, and it's believed to take a lot of time, and most times involves a road or a route. The phrase, the road to recovery, is used when something would take time to happen. Unfortunately, often, it is most used in situations that are deemed hopeless. And hopeless is a strong word. People do not recover from serious injuries, infectious diseases, or other major illnesses just by swallowing a pill. Recovery always takes time. Even recovering from the flu or a common cold takes a week or two. Therefore, recovering from addiction can take months or even years. The idiom, the road to recovery, captures the essence of recovery, not just because of the alliteration, but one's path of sobriety really can be compared to a road. It's bumpy, sometimes smooth at a straight shot, yet wildly unpredictable. From Fragile Moments and Not Today Media, I'm J.D., this is story number 36 of the Buster Story Podcast. Unveiling the hidden stories. I'm Helen, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I graduated with my master's in 2014. I went back to school in my 40s to get my master's. Um, And I was one of those people who didn't know what I wanted to do and also wanted to do everything. Um, So I did. I tried a lot of different things throughout my career. I worked in theater. I worked in production. I worked with Victoria's Secret. I, you know, I, I love, I have this, these sort of, I can't figure, think of the word, but just sort of chance encounters with different kinds of stars. Cause I worked at a playhouse on Martha's Vineyard. So we would oh, wow. have like random Broadway stars and directors there. And, you know, so I have a lot of those, Oh, cool moments. And, you know, <laughs> um, but they're just all, they all, I guess, kind of fit into the story from ways that I've, try to um, figure out who I am and um, and who I want to be. Um, yeah. So um, I was number seven out of nine children. I still am. Thank goodness we're all Good. still here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I was like the smart one, you know. Um, I, and I don't say this, like for boasting, but for context, you know, when I was younger, it was like, you know, testing in the 99th percentile and everything. Mm. And, you know, so there was a lot of pressure then like, Oh, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer when you grow up. And there was a lot of focus in my family about, you know, being successful when you grow up and being able to make a lot of money, make a lot of money. It didn't matter what you did as long as you made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, of course my dad had nine kids. So of course he was concerned with finances. Sure. Right. Mm. Um, but, um, turns out I did not become a doctor or lawyer. <laughs> um, I, um, 
I went off to college and I completely failed. I had to drop out in my, was it my second semester? Um, because at the time, what I didn't know was that I had ADHD, depression, and anxiety. Um, you know, but with, I was really self-sufficient. Like that's how we were raised in, in those days. You know, I worked, yeah. I paid for my, paid for all my stuff. If I wanted something extra or special, especially with so many kids in the family, I had worked a lot of jobs. I, I did make a lot of money. I said I paid for most of my college, but um, when I went away and there wasn't <clears throat> sort of that safety net to fall back on or the, um, you know, self-discipline had, yeah. you know, it's easy when you're in high school and you're like, you go to school from nine to three or whatever. But with classes, um, I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't motivate myself to do anything. It was really overwhelming. You know, I grew up in a very, in a, a nice little suburb of New York City. And we took class trips going into the um, natural, you know, Museum of Natural History. Yeah, and yeah. Broadway shows. And so I was exposed to so much. And I went to, I went to Rutgers initially. And um, I, all of a sudden it was like all these kids who's, parents were divorced or who came from poverty and just things that I just was not familiar with. And it was just felt really overwhelming to me. Um, and I really shut down. I got to a point where I wasn't leaving my dorm room except maybe to go to the dining hall. I would call them like if they had a, you know, if they had a chicken patty, I would go because that was my favorite thing. Or I'd ask my roommates to bring food back for me. And I didn't know I was depressed. You know, there's also a lot of, um, the drinking. I started, um, drinking at a young age, like, I remember um, I wasn't a regular drinker at three, but <laughs> I do remember um, getting, I had a stomach ache and I got um, a glass of brandy or a shot. My mom said, take a sip of this, it'll help your stomach. And from that minute on, I got a lot of stomach aches because I wanted that brandy. And yeah. But generally, I, mean, I don't want to like, like condone it. That was okay. But like, I mean, that's. Kind of like a, I mean, a generational thing. Like, I mean, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, my, my parents just are just not drinkers. They have nothing against it. They don't like worry. Like, you yeah. know, if my brother, I do, but like, I, they just weren't that interested. And I can remember being at like, like events, like, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And I was like, well, what yeah. are they doing? And so I don't have that story of like, but my, my wife has like something like that. Not necessarily mm-hmm. like a stomach ache, but like, I was like, okay, you know, we don't have the oh, same yeah. like stigma to it. Um, interesting. Yeah, my parents um, had a group of friends who, you know, everyone was Catholic and everyone had eight, nine, seven, five, six, eight kids, and they all partied together. And they they were pretty hardcore, you know, all yeah. the families. And um, so, in fact, the night I was born, they were at a party for another kid who was born that, you know, the seventh child of one of my parents' friends she had a boy. They were partying at this house of somebody else who now has nine kids. And then my mom went into labor with me and then she went to the hospital and had me, but they were all, you know, and every time anybody had a baby, a christening, whatever, it was a big, big, big party. So there's a lot of alcohol I was exposed to at a young age. And I had older siblings too. So they were, I think the drinking age back then was like 18, you know, so, so they were drinking. It was just a very common thing in my house. Um, not always a great thing, but that's not part of the story I'm going to talk about right now in terms of my family's dysfunction. But, um, but for me, it became something I always tried to seek out. Right. And, um, 
So by the time I was away, I mean, I, I think about it now and I'm just like blown away. Um, I would leave high school in the middle of the day and drink and, and then come back to class, you know? Um, yeah. At my prom, I was so incredibly wasted that, you know, it's a long time ago. I don't remember much anyway, but it was definitely not my daughter's prom who, you know, she left directly from here 15 minutes before prom and then was home 15 minutes after prom, you know. Um, that, was that your, was that your doing? Cause you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it No, 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 no. She, she is just, I've always been really open with my kids about my struggles with alcohol and the family, yeah. you know, and genetics. And so um, my kids, it, and also the fact that, the earlier you start, the more likely you are to become alcoholic or addicted sure. to whatever substance because that becomes your coping mechanism. So they've sort of, my son doesn't even like alcohol. My daughter knows, you know, not till I'm at least 21. So yeah, worlds apart from yeah. who I was. Um, so yeah, so I failed out of college and then it was, you know, failed relationship and, and just, um, that, um, you know, that, that empty hole that, that you think another person's going to fill or, sure. um, a job or traveling, you know, just really, really, uh, in my twenties was just really seeking. And yeah. I work now with, you know, clients who are teenagers and in their twenties, it tends to be the, the age that gravitates to me. Um, you know, and they'll talk about this, you know, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And what if I don't yeah. get into college or how, what kind of job am I going to get? The economy is terrible. And um, just remind them, you know, you don't have to tick all those boxes. Four no. years of college, married two years later, you know, um, it's really just a journey. And yeah. but I, you know, but I very much had the message of you're going to be a doctor or you a lawyer. You have to check these boxes. You have yeah. to check the boxes. Um, you Not know. even just check the boxes, but they have to be in the order, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you're right. I mean, you don't have to check them at all and they don't right. have to be... Yeah. But that, you know, message I continually got from my parents, my family, you know, was that basically I didn't have much of a choice. Dogs barking at the door. Um, So anyway, that was uh, that was in through my mid 20s. And then um, when I was 26, my mother died. Um, It was very unexpected. Um, She died of cancer, but it was like she I don't think they would have been able to do anything for her if she had gone to the doctor earlier, but, um, she was, she was almost, she was, she 60. She was either 60 or almost 60. She was in great shape. She walked with her neighbors all the time. She'd jump on her bicycle and ride seven miles to her friend's house and be like, Oh, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd stop by for a cup of coffee. (laughs) You know, um, just, you know, she took dance class. She just was very, very, very involved in the church. Um, and, um, we found out, I think a couple of days after Thanksgiving that she had lung cancer and, um, it was really like in her bronchioles, um, and just more genetic base. I mean, a lot of people here, like, Oh, lung cancer. She was a smoker. Well, she, you know, no. my dad, my parents are in their nineties. So it's a very different generation in terms of what was accepted. Yeah. And, um, she hadn't smoked in years and years and years. But I think it was, I think it was more, as we know now, like, um, you know, the, the body keeps the score. You know, my mom yep. had a lot of stress that she dealt with, did not express herself, um, you know, really 
wasn't able to to talk about her emotions. It's very stoic is how we would often describe her. Yeah. That's a good description. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then after that, um, things just really spiraled out for me. Cause I was like, you know, what do I care? Everybody's going to die anyway. And I really was drinking more excessively and, um, quit. I had a corporate job and I quit it and I was going to go back to school for journalism. And, um, and then I ended up, um, getting sober. And it was like, you know, I was dating a guy who was, who was sober at the time. Unfortunately, I I think he's later passed of an overdose, but um, that helped me, you know, I started to go to AA and that was um, 29, almost 29 years ago. This podcast is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is something that should be taken seriously. And while this may be another sponsored ad, my relationship with BetterHelp is personal because for the past year, I've been using BetterHelp to gain my own mental clarity. I can sit here all day and tell you to seek help, but the truth is we're in this together. In the end, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or simply not dealing with stress very well. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed or scared of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Join the millions of people, myself included, who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's, it's always a good time to invest in yourself because you're your greatest asset. As a special offer to listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. And remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. So that that really saved my life for me. It was just, um, it was kind of like I always knew I was going to end up there. Like, you know, when you're in sixth grade and they have, you know, speakers come, you know, whether it's dare, like the program, yeah, say dare. Whatever, you know? <laughs> we didn't have dare cause it's a little, I'm dating myself, but, um, you know, some recovering person came yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, and I was always, I was like, that's going to be me for some reason. I just knew that I was going to be like a person in recovery someday. I don't know how or why I knew that or maybe it was self-fulfilling prophecy, but, um, so yeah. yeah, there I am person in recovery. So, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like really what I want to talk about that I'll, I'll get to in just a minute. Um, cause I'm going to fast forward a little bit. That's I got, okay. um, I ended up getting married to my husband, you know, when I was five years sober. Um, and we have two great kids and, um, you know, it hasn't been always easy breezy, but I have to say, sure. because I'm so self-aware, we were a little older when we got married. Um, and he's a reasonable individual, you know, we, I think we have a really a good 
marriage. Of course, we disagree on things. And in fact, our politics are completely opposite. So we do not talk about politics. We do not talk about that. But, <laughs> um, but all these messages of like, well, could you ever love somebody who's a Republican? I'm like, you know, it, to me, it, it doesn't matter. It's not it's not about yeah. that. You know, it's about who the person is. You know, when it comes down to I it, always get that, like caught up in these things that like, you know, and I'm not like politic politician, you know. Yeah. Savvy at all. Um, if I could just, and again, going back to like just grew up around, I mean, I knew that that was something that my parents were interested yeah. in, but never, you know, around the house. But it always catches me when you see people like, you know, talk about like voting like all blue or, you know, and I'm like, you can't. Because yeah. it's, I mean, even the best of people that, you know, might have the, the values that you like all together, you seem there's going to be something, something they're human that you're, that you're right. not going to agree with. Like you can't say that because, and even on the opposite side, right. You, you know, the, 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 the yeah. side you quote unquote, like completely disagree with, they're still a human that they, they may not, you may not like all the right. things. There's gotta be something that you're, you know, so it's hard for me to like, see that. It's like, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you, you can't agree with well, somebody that, just because yeah. even though they're of opposite beliefs, you know? Well, and that's where the division comes in, right. It's just the message that, you know, everybody believes this on this side yeah. everybody believes that on that side. Um, and then that division comes in and, and, you know, there are a lot of black and white thinkers out there who can't yeah. see that gray. Yeah. So, um, and that's actually what I grew up with. I grew up with some very staunch Republicans and I was the lone liberal voice <laughs> throughout the whole family. And I, you know, I just wouldn't take, you know, like, whatever my dad or brothers were throwing out there. Um, and it continues to this day, you know, um, it's kind of funny. Sometimes we get a little into it in the group chat with the whole family, <laughs> but, but we don't let it, you know, stop us from loving each other. I know yeah. families who don't speak to each other over this well, and it's don't like, get it. yeah, I don't get it either. It's not worth it. I mean, if you're, you know, even if people are evil, you know, pe evil people, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Sociopathy and psychopaths or whatever. But, um, you know, it's just, I, I feel like, like you said, most people are human and just yeah. trying to do what they think is best and believe what they're they trying believe. trying to survive, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knows exactly what, what they, what's going to work or what's not going to work, right? I mean, you don't yeah. predict the future and so you can't can't judge i mean we had no idea like how you're gonna think i mean we i mean going back to like just you know things like the pandemic like i mean we were right. blown away by like what, like how friends like all of a sudden mm. react and we're like oh like we we didn't see you being like that you know yeah. and just, i mean <laughs> not bad it was just like oh wow okay um right right what did we do it you know at first we took it personally we're like no that's just i guess that's how they are and you just i mean you didn't yeah. but you wouldn't have known that like i mean right you have to keep it in mind because you don't know how you're going to be tested. Yeah, that is true. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've been tested a few, you know, yeah. times in my life, um, like with recovery, losing my mom. Um, and we weren't super close. So I just, um, I don't have regret about it not being a close relationship. Um, but just sometimes some conflict, you know, whenever there's that yeah. sort of tension between, um, parents and their siblings it's yeah. um it just comes with a lot of conflicted emotions um, sure. but i feel settled i mean it's been 30 years you know but it's funny now when i think about um like my brothers were eight 19 and 20 and i think about like if i god forbid were to die and my kids didn't have me like you know 
they they still need me so much at that at that age. Yeah. You know? So um, anyway, I so we have my husband and I have our our um, two kids, and the they are not easy kids. <laughs> <laughs> my kids were very, very difficult. And, um, you know, you'd go to a birthday party and the kids are jumping on trampolines or swimming and run around like crazy. And everybody's like, oh, they're going to fall asleep in the car and be out for the night. Not my children. No, not my children. They never no. they were never once to go to sleep <laughs> on time um, up till my daughter would step so late. Oh, hang on tight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could barely get my daughter out of bed for preschool in the morning because yeah. she couldn't fall asleep till after midnight. And, um, you know, so anyway, eventually, um, my son was diagnosed with ADHD and, um, I was like, and around that same time, some of my friends, kids were also being diagnosed. And then my friends were like, you know, I found out that I have it too. And, um, I was like, hmm. So I looked mm-hmm. into it a little bit and I was seeing a, a psychiatrist at the time. I guess when I was, um, I'll backtrack a little bit, when I was in my late 20s or early 30s and my you know, couple, first couple of years of sobriety, um, that's when I realized that I had anxiety and depression. I had been having panic attacks. I was really depressed, like not wanting to go to work. And my sponsor at the time said, you know, might be time to to see a professional. So I started medication for that and it was like life changing, you know, um, it really, really helped just get some footing under me. And, um, I think that's, you know, why I was then able to continue, um, developing, you know, the work that I was doing and just, um, have such a great, great life. I lived at Martha's Vineyard at the time and it was just so much fun. It was, you know, I, it's beautiful there and people yeah. were great. And I, that's when I was doing all that fun theater stuff and everything. Um, so um, I, uh, so fast forward, I get married, we have kids. My son is ADHD. I decide maybe I have it too. So I go see my psychiatrist and I'm talking to him about it. And, um, and he said, you know, yeah, it sounds like, sounds like you probably do. And, um, and then just kind of looking back at all, what my life looked like and seeing how, um, you know, sixth grade was the first time I ever failed a test. And that's when middle schoolers start changing classrooms and they have different teachers and they've got to keep track of different notebooks, you know, and then high school, I did pretty well, but anytime something distracted me, like a cute boy sitting next to me, I would just write notes the whole time instead of pay attention in class, you know? Um, and then, same thing with going to college, especially Rutgers, which was a huge university. You know, you'd go into a um, lecture hall with 300 other people yeah. and, and the professors on the stage. It's like that, that's not going to engage me, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then just thinking about all the other times in my life where things were just a mess, including my car, <laughs> my bedroom, you know, I've always had trouble like, I, I say that it, I describe myself as pig pen. I've always had trouble picking up after myself. Like I literally leave a trail in my wake and, um, you know, finding out that I had ADHD was, was eye opening and kind of crushing at the same time. Sure, yeah. Um, because here I was in my forties, uh, being diagnosed and, you know, just thinking about, you know, maybe I could have been a doctor or a lawyer, you know, 
Um, and uh, I remember crying in the psychiatrist's office yeah. because I, it just really affected me a lot. And of course, you know, girls didn't have ADHD back when I was growing up. It, any kids barely even had it. And if they did, yeah. they were in special ed class, you know, or I mean, I don't remember any kids when I was growing up. Not that people would make it common knowledge, but, you know, ever saying yeah. anything about medicine that they took or whatever. Which is interesting because, I mean, I don't know where, where that place is like time wise, like for you, but like as as um, teachers, like my wife and I said, I don't know if I mentioned that, like we both were and we were middle school teachers. Yeah. Um, we're talking almost 10 years ago now, but I mean, I can remember even before I became a teacher, my mom was like, you know, her hearing things like that um, or mm -hmm. hearing her say things like that. And it was just yeah. like, that was like, it became like the quick diagnosis. Like it was like, mm -hmm. everybody has it. Everybody's getting this. And I can remember, you know, friends of my brothers, cause you know, he was younger and he was at least, you know, going to like the school that I eventually like taught at, but you know, friends of his that were like, they were giving them the medication and then they didn't really need it. And then when I, you know, mm. fast forward to when I became a teacher, um, you know, it was like, it was a whole different perspective of it. I can remember one right. kid, <laughs> one kid in the entire 10 years almost that I taught that like truly, truly, truly was diagnosed with ADHD. And it's like, like, how did you get this like mix up a ball of like, you know, nobody wants to talk about it, like you said, and then everybody's yeah. got it. So it's not that. Bad. Right, right, right. So it kind of muddies the water as far as like, mm -hmm. how do you actually like, I mean, you know, here you are feeling like, well, this is both relieving and like terrible news all at the same time, because this is yeah. what you this is what you've defined it as, you know, and that I mean, that kid. I mean, I mean, I can remember like to this day, like all the things that we had to like support him with all the, the interventions and all, mm -hmm. I mean, and he truly was. And it's so it's, yeah. it's frustrating to see that now, how many people are like, Oh now I've got it. I'm like, no, hold on. Like that's kind yeah. of right. I mean, it's and we would do that with like so many, know? right. It, well, oh, yeah. oh, everybody's yeah. a little autistic or everybody's right. a little ADHD. It's like, no, you can't, you not... can't do that. But people that no. actually, actually do have these diagnoses, like, right. you know, you're, you're making it harder for them to get mm -hmm. noticed and supported, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I went, I did, I started medication and that also changed my life. Suddenly I was like, Oh my God, I can, I can clean the kitchen in, you know, 20 minutes rather than two hours or <laughs> um, leave a trail. And, yeah. And that's when I figured out that I wanted to go back to school to become, um, a, a social worker and eventually a therapist. Um, and I decided to specialize in ADHD and autism because I have uh, members Beautiful. of my family who are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been, it's been so amazing, you know, about yeah. the ADHD. I mean, it is, um, you know, statistically we say approximately one in 10 people have it. And um, I was just reading an article yesterday about adults who are um, like women in menopause and men, whatever the um, hormonal thing they go through and, and a, <laughs> something or whatever, and a pause, you know, that's when the, the, um, the symptoms can really actually get really? worse. And even if you've never had it, you can be diagnosed and um, the, the past several years have been really tough for me. I went through a time where when we moved down here, my mother-in-law moved with us and then I was homeschooling my son because he couldn't be 
Yeah. He couldn't attend regular school just because it wasn't good for his mental health. And, um, and then my mother-in-law was getting sick and then we had the pandemic and I had had some, um, back issues and it was just like, so I talk about, you know, I've been down here eight years, but I hardly have yeah. any friends because I just, I was in such a yeah. sort of, a, you know, abyss or whatever. So, um, my mother-in-law died about a year and a half ago and, you know, God bless her. She was 92 or 93. Um, but you know, caretaking for her and, you know, sacrificing just, you know, my husband always like having to go to the grocery store for her. Not, not that it was a huge sacrifice, but it, you know, it definitely affected our life sure. on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so just kind of putting the pieces back together now, she, cause she's been gone. I kind of feel like I have my house back. Like this room I'm in now used to be her bedroom. Now it's my mm-hmm. office. Um, and then I, but I was also feeling just really crappy, like, like my AD. ADHD was worse than ever. Um, I was getting migraines, you know, just yeah. horrible, really yucky stuff. And I, I had a hysterectomy because I felt like, well, cause the doctor said I needed one, but, um, you know, so I think it's really important for, um, women to, to be aware of what's going on with their bodies, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind I kind of suffered for too long. I feel like the doctor should have kind of intervened a little sooner, but I will say, I feel like I am 10 years younger now. It's unbelievable how much better yeah. I feel. I'm not losing a day or two, a month to a migraine or really yeah. bad cramps, you know. And um, I just, you know, to have that awareness, I mean, yeah, you know, um, it's really frustrating when all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, my kids are older and I'm getting back more time. And then you just don't want to do anything you because you're depressed right. or you feel good, you know. Um but that, you know, getting that ADHD diagnosis, like I said, changed my life. Um, both my kids have it, as I mentioned. And, um, you know, I feel like obviously I work with kids who have it. And um, but then again, you know, not everybody does. Like you said, like I, I yeah. had somebody come in the other day and they were saying that, you know, oh, well, he was diagnosed with ADHD. And it turned out that as I started to do the screening, I was like, this is trauma. That's not ADHD because the symptoms can look similar, similar but you have yeah. to tease out. Like if there's trauma, you've got to get rid of that before you can look at anything, you know? Anything, yeah. um, I just feel like it's funny that you're, you're asking me to tell my story because I, I listen to other people's stories all the time. Right. And yeah. when it's time to tell my story, I'm like, eh, I've done that, you know, I've done that already. It's not, it's not really about me anymore. You know, it's about creating awareness for other people, kind of like what you're doing. You know, I want to create awareness for other people and help them, you know, um, succeed. And, and that's whether they're in midlife or whether they're a kid who has a parent who doesn't align, you know, who says, Oh no, my kid couldn't have ADHD. There's no way my kid is depressed. Um, you know, but then the kid's just floundering, you know? Um, so I think, you know, if I had known about what was going on with me when I was younger, my outcome may have been different, but I love my life now. So I don't want to go back and change anything. You know, I have, I have a beautiful life. It's because I work so hard. You know, I worked hard in recovery. I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, stopped drinking. Thank God I was, you know, one of the people who, once I went into AA, I never drank again. You know, a lot of people go in and go in and go in and go in. And the longer you 
you're trying to stop, the harder it is, you know. Um, so I've done, you know, I, I just, I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of um, self-exploration. And I feel like, I almost feel like I'm in therapy every day now with my own clients because they'll, they'll talk about yeah. things that I can resonate with or, you know, I'll say, oh yeah, I used oh, to feel yeah. that way. And, you know, yeah. I'm definitely a self-disclosing therapist. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell my clients sometimes right up front. I hope you don't mind if I talk about myself because I can relate, you know? Yeah. I think so. that's important. I mean, cause it, it, it puts you on a level playing field versus like, yes. oh, like this person's got to be like an, perfect. Right. right. I mean, they're, they're telling me how to live. Like they've got yes. it under control. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I do. I think that's exactly right. When I say something like, well, God, I, you know, I locked myself out of the office today, <laughs> you know, and I, had to, I had to call my husband to bring me the key or whatever when they're, because, you know, the, um, the mental and emotional anguish that comes with having something like ADHD is so much more far reaching than you would think, yeah. um, because it affects, um, your self-esteem, yeah. your, you know, your outlook on life, your, um, faith in yourself, uh, because you're like, all right, I know that I can function at this high level, but I have this brain, so it can't, yeah. you know, and um, it can be, it's a, it's a real struggle. And just like you said, when people just blow it off, like, Oh, I have, you know, I've got ADHD. It's like, no, you don't because oh, it's on. so yeah. much more than being hyper yeah. or, you know, forgetting your keys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why it's important, right? To, to, to just share that. I mean, it's just like, maybe some, some person might be like, oh, maybe I do. And for some other people, it might be just a, an easy way to like start the, the process of making that next step. And it, for other people, mm -hmm. it could be just as, you know, just what they needed to hear. Be like, you know what? I'm overthinking this. Like, you know, maybe I have yeah. to step back and really see what, like you said, I mean, if you, as you tease things out, you realize that, you know, it's a different issue altogether. Mm -hmm. And, and in my opinion, of, are far worse issue of having to deal with like trauma versus the idiot. And if, and if you just like put that label on it, would you have yep. ever even uncovered that for that kid? You right, know? Right. Um, well, yeah. it's like when no medication at all, because I mean, honestly, ADHD can be really easy to treat, you know, medication. I mean, on all the experts I see have been to a talks of I've attended. The first line of treatment is medication. It's just yeah. like when you can't, focus to see when you're driving they give you a pair of glasses you know right um and um when that doesn't work there are other you know stimulants are the first and then there are other things that kind of go down the line um but there are people who medication does not work for um and that's when you do have to start looking at like what's the role of trauma okay you know yeah. here um or even if you, your parents drank while you were while they were pregnant with you, you know, so many yeah. things that can affect that you neurologically. Um, yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's part of my story, but also really it's part of my advocacy because I really feel like with autism now diagnosing one in 38 children and an ADHD one in 10, um, we need to know what these kids need and yeah. how, how to meet their needs, you know? Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's really not about like necessarily solving it. I mean, a lot, I mean, for me, like, I mean, we've done so yeah. much of like, you know, awareness, this and awareness, that and the next mm -hmm. step 
along with it, which is great. The next step is is educating people. It doesn't mean that like you have to right. find out how to do anything with it. It's like, okay, what does that mean? And then right. then you can go. But we're kind of like, um, I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, or yeah. I don't want to listen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and then I'll I'll meet with um, a kid and a parent, and I'll start asking certain questions about like what were you saying earlier about somebody not wanting to go out of the house or something. I feel like you were saying something about that, but I can't remember. Um, you know, there'll um, be, Oh, if you're afraid to go out of the house, you said something oh, yeah. about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll have a conversation with a parent and their kid and the parent will be like, really, you're, you're afraid to walk down the street by yourself. I didn't realize that. Or you won't go to go into a store by yourself. It could be because you're nervous. I had no idea, you know, then I'm like, yeah. okay, now we have to work on these life skills because if you want this person to be an adult, yeah. they need to be able to walk down the street and go into the store. Yeah. You know, and that's that awareness. I, like you said, not only, okay, my kid is autistic, but what do I have to do to get them, you know, to be yeah. a functioning adult? Because you, you know, it is, it's not, it's not like a disability sentence for everybody for the rest of their yeah. lives. You know. I mean, you, when you go back to the beginning of your story and, you know, you just talk about like once you got to college, it was like, oh, gosh, like, I got to think for myself. But, I mean, I'm, I'm a proponent of Montessori just for being a Montessori teacher. But I think and there's probably a lot of other philosophies that like also entertain that idea. But that's the primary focus, like for a long time, not, not even until you get to like middle school. And even then, still the focus, but you have to shift mm. more towards academic. But life you know i mean our here we are our two-year-old i mean the things he's coming home that he's like he's he's doing i mean sure there's like book reading but it yeah. sounds silly to say it from the outside but i mean he's learning how to like polish a mirror and like wash windows and like <laughs> yeah. there's pu puzzles and things like that water plants like they seem silly and like but like when you when we get a picture home that he was like washing dishes and he's two or washing yeah. his hands like that's it's like, awesome. okay, that, that translates <laughs> later, you know, and then, yeah. you know, we, when we go, when go back, you know, forward to like middle school, I mean, the things that we were doing as far as like in our classrooms, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, like, you know, your academics have a little bit more priority now because you're about to enter high school. But right. I, I mean, I always told parents and nine times out of 10, they gave me this look, but I was like, look, like the life skills come first. Absolutely. Academics will fall into place with that because if you can't, figure out how to, to get the class mm -hmm. on time. If you can't figure out where your papers are or organize, you know, a, a syllabus or things like that, yep. it's not going to matter if you know how to do algebra, you know? Right. And, exactly. But that, I mean, with, you know, we're, we're, we're not equipping kids with the, the, the mm -hmm. right tools to get to that point. And so you are lost at, you know, high school, college, and then life in general after that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm and that's that exactly one. what that's exactly what the like long term autism studies say too is the those with the best you know life outcomes are the ones who have the life skills you know so yeah. I literally will be like you have to you have to teach your kid how to wash a dish to. make make a grilled cheese sandwich you know um, yeah because like you said you know once you get out there it's like. I got to go back home because I don't know yeah. how to, how to and cook. Let, or... And let them do those things too, you know? I mean, so much of what we see as parents, I mean, you know, just because we were educated, we had no idea what we're doing, you know, when right, it comes right. to these little ones. But like, 
you could see it. Like, I mean, even within myself, I have to stop and be like, no, no, no. Like you, you don't want this mess, but yeah, <laughs> he, they need to make that mess, you know? Like and yes, yes. it's even just that. I mean, how many parents are like, no, no, no. Like let mommy do that. Let daddy do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like right. let him, let him have a plastic knife and exactly. cut an avocado, you know, like, <laughs> you know, absolutely. if it gets on his state, you know, it's, and so it's even yeah. just that, that, like, you're right. I mean, you have to let him do it. You know, right. if they're not going to die by doing it. Then exactly. Happen, you know. Yeah. Um, That's how, of course, we were raised with nine kids. You can't. Yeah. You can't be supervising every single one of them every minute. But today yeah, there is a lot more of that major. You know, I have friends in this neighborhood, very safe. You know, suburb. They won't let their kids go outside to play, and I'm just like, "Are you kidding me?" Let them play. You know, it's like, yeah, let them play. What, yeah. What's going to happen to them if they walk down? Yeah five houses to the playground, you know? Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I mean, you partly get it, but then it's also like, okay, like, you know, yeah. Look at all the, the other parameters. Like, is, you know, is the worst going to happen? You know, statistically, probably not right here in this moment, you know, right. I mean, right. yes, times have changed. I mean, I, I get myself all the time. Like we had a cul-de-sac that we can play in and I don't ever remember being inside or wanting to be inside. Right. right. Um, but you know, yeah. I look at, you know, where we are now, like what I, let my kid know. Um, but you know, like, I mean, like we, <laughs> we see these kids that like travel, like all the way into town. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like you're 10. I wouldn't have done yeah. that. Like, why are you down by the lake, by the river right now? You know, but it's like, you know, at, at least they were relaxed to, to some medium. degree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. There's still level playing field. Like, you don't have to close them and you don't have to be on top of them. Um, right. Cause it's only going to translate better in life. Like you said. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background piano music by Chad Lawson. These beautiful, inspiring, wonderful stories, they're all yours, listener. So if you've got a story you want to share, you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. If there's something that rang a bell with you today or something that truly touched your heart in today's episode, let me know by sending me an email at jd.jedi at fragilemoments.org. Or you can just tag the show at at StorySharingPod on Twitter as well as Instagram. Thanks once again for choosing to listen, and I look forward to hearing your story one day, because we all have within us a story to tell, a song yet unsung.